Welcome to Politics Done Right. I am your host, Egberto Willis. This is a progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. This is the program that will encourage you to make sure government becomes we the people. Whether you are liberal, progressive, conservative, or otherwise, you get to air your point of view. We are an independent media outlet that, unlike mainstream media beholden to corporations, we only owe allegiance to you. Remember, you can also send me a tweet at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. That is at Egberto Willis. Let us engage. It is politics done right. Welcome to Politics Done Right, broadcasting from Washington, D.C., on behalf of the studios of KPFT 90.1 FM Houston, your community radio station. We have a great program for you today. How are we going to start? Media, Mansion, Pelosi, and the filibuster. And to end it, we have sort of a nice change of pace. A conservative Muslim reared woman speaks. And you're going to want to listen to her. Mona Sheikh, a conservative Muslim girl, came to America and became a comedian with a purpose in L.A. This was one of my most enjoyable interviews. Mona Sheikh is electric. Her comedy is intelligent. She goes and sees beyond the stereotypes, and is able to give context. She knows how to make fun of the supremely silly, yet without leaving the aggriever, completely demoralized. That lends itself to a great comedy that all can enjoy. Most importantly, it is comedy that teaches subliminally. And before we get into uh, Mona and her interesting sort of politics, we're going to listen to what uh, Senator Angus King had to say about the filibuster. Remember, at one point he wasn't for it, but now he's seeing that it is really a clear and present danger to America and has to do something about it. We hope that we have the ability to do that. The mainstream media has been talking about Virginia, Virginia, Virginia. What happens when Virginia is won by the Democrats? When uh, he wins. Will they change your tune? We, we want to talk about that. Manchin also says he doesn't have a place to be. Nobody wants me. I don't know where I really belong. Going to explore that as well. Uh, we're going to hold that mainstream media accountable about Terry McAuliffe. And Pelosi, you know, Pelosi was interviewed this week and something interesting happened. A host attempted to blame progressives for the problems of the delay in getting both of the infrastructure and social infrastructure bill passed. But she came out in their defense, a defense that was solid, but yet she left a very or made a very important statement. I want you guys to check this out. But ultimately, we're doing the job. Check this out. We have a great show for you today. Do remember, we are in fun drive right now, but you are still getting yourself a great program uh, that we work at putting together for you. Stuff that you, some that you may know on a 
small level, some that you may not know at all. That's why we're here. Politics Done Right, KPFT 90.1 FM, Houston. We're asking you to invest in this community radio station. But why? Because, folks, there's a lot of media out there. But it's not media that you control. It's not media that has your interests at hand. When we're talking about community radio, when we're talking about this community radio station, KPFT 90.1 FM, we're talking about a station that is solely funded by whom? You. And if it is funded by you, our loyalty is to you. In that light, I'm asking you to please call 713-526-5738 or go to kpft.org and support us. You can support us with a $25 membership, a $40 membership, or you can get any one of our gifts that you find there. Please do this in the name of Politics Done Right. Also, remember that you can get one of my several books out there. As I see it, Class Warfare, the only resort to right-wing doom for a contribution of $120. It's worth it. How to talk to your right-wing relatives, friends, and neighbors for a contribution of $120. How to make America utopia. Take away the economy from those who rigged it. Pledge of $120. You can get any two of those books for $200. Any three of those books for $250. That is in, That is to support our station and all those books i promise you give you all that you need to have that conversation across the board to ensure to help us make a better america so please support us please support kpft 90.1 fm houston Call 713-526-5738 or visit kpft.org. In the name of Politics Done Right, please select one of our books, several of our books, or one of our offers. We're here for you. You can get Politics Done Right Mondays through Fridays on Facebook Live at facebook.com slash politics done right. On YouTube Live at politics done right.com slash YouTube. Please do not forget to follow me on Twitter for updates. My handle is at Egberto Willis at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. Before you get started, please remember to keep your community radio station in your minds. KPFT in your minds. Talk about it. Tell your friends about it. Tell them you know about this station in town, 90.1 FM Houston, that needs your support, that is there to provide what? That nourishment that we need. 713-526-5738. KPFT.org. Visit us online. Contribute online. KPFT. 90.1 FM. You can visit us at kpft.org. This senator, Angus King, he is a supporter of the filibuster. But when you actually get an Angus King to be concerned about the filibuster and actually come out with numbers like this, he actually thought about it and just sees that it's not working. Look, it is time. It is time to kill the filibuster. Check this out. Then we'll take it on the other side. 
What's happening now, though, is there seems to be no forthcoming discussion from the Republicans, no interest in any part of the bill that we voted on today, which, as you point out, was a compromise bill worked out by Joe Manchin, a former secretary of state, a guy who really believes in voting rights. But they're not coming back with any any further discussion. The filibuster and Joe's theory of the filibuster is it forces bipartisanship. It forces the parties to, to work together. That theory only works if, if both of the parties are willing to meet at the table. If one of them just uses it as sheer unadulterated obstruction, which is what happened today, then, you know, that's when, as I, as you pointed out, I say, you know, democracy has to trump a rule. Uh, you know, this, this, this is not in, not in the, the filibuster, not in the constitution. We need to restore the Senate to what it was back, you know, when Lawrence worked there. And when I worked there 40 years ago, the filibuster was very rarely used. Now we have, we have to have cloture votes on deputy secretaries of, of defense. I mean, everything requires either a, 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 a cloture vote uh, for nominees or 60 votes for anything substantive. That's not what the framers intended. They didn't intend a supermajority in the Senate. And here we are. Let me let me give you one piece of math, Rachel, that I think you'll find surprising. You can get 41 votes out of the current Senate, which was enough to block any legislation. And if you take the states that those 41 senators represent, add all the population together, you get 24 percent of the American people. So the situation we're in now is that 24 percent of the American people have an effective veto over anything that 76 percent of the American people think is important public policy. I don't think that squares with democratic theory. Those numbers are staggering. And we cannot continue to allow that. And that is that is what creates major, major dissension in a country. When one group of people, a majority, continue to feel the boot on the neck from those who have don't, do not have their interest at hand or those who don't give them the wherewithal of the things for what they, they, they want or need, that is unsustainable. That is completely unsustainable. And something has to be done about it. The filibuster must go. Joe Manchin, are you listening? Christine Cinema, are you listening? Uh, representatives that are hiding behind those who still claim they support it, we're watching. After watching all the news programs today, you know, there was one central message about the Virginia governor's election with uh, McCullough running against a Trump-like uh, candidate, and it was doom and gloom, doom and gloom. We have to remember this. If somehow McCullough loses the election, it's black, black clouds will be there for the Democratic Party. I don't believe that. I believe that in the moment, in 2022, based on what's occurring in the economy, based on whether progressives and Democrats have done what's necessary to lift folks up, that'll determine 2022, not the governor's election. But if, uh, likewise, we have to remember that uh, off-year elections in Virginia always seem to go towards the uh, towards a person that's not leading in the that's not in the White House, even though McCullough, the person McCullough, the guy who's running right now, is the one who was the exception to that rule. That said, let's hold the part. Let's hold the mainstream media accountable. It will be black clouds if McCullough. Uh, loses the election in their opinion let's see if their narrative will change 
when he wins the election, which I, that's what I believe. I think people in Virginia, progressives and Democrats alike will wake up and say, we cannot have a Trump-like governor in this state. And I think they will defy what the polls had said, just like they had in the last election as well. The margins were a lot larger than what the polls had said. And there is a distinct reason why that is the truth. So let's hold the mainstream media accountable when McAuliffe wins in uh, 20, uh, this, this election in, in Virginia and watch to see if they really will change their tune about Democrats and progressives, or they will continue to try to malign uh, Democrats and progressives for corporate reasons. Remember, one of the things the mainstream media does is suppress the vote of progressives. Why? Well, who pays them? And again, this is not done maliciously. It is done subconsciously. But it is done. And the reason we need... Uh, uh, independent, progressive, activist media is to inform people the way they really should be informed. Joe Manchin got interviewed today and they asked him the very important question. Are you leaving the Democratic Party? What do you think about being, isn't it easier being a Republican? Check this out and then we'll take it on the other side. Have you ever thought my life would be easier for you if you shifted to being a Republican? And somebody have said recently that, um, you know, people have approached you about doing that. Every day. Every day. So, um, well, any, either that or just here's a, I actually wouldn't life be easier for you to do that? Oh, it would be much easier. My goodness. Are you is thinking that the purpose of being involved in public service? Are, are you thinking because about it's easy? doing it? No, I've never, I, I never thought from this. I, I'm a, I, what I'm telling you now is who I am. Do you think by having a D or an I or an R is going to change who I am? I don't think the R's be any more happier with me than D's are right now. Okay? I mean, that's about as blunt as I can put it. So I don't know where in the hell I belong. Little nitpick. So I don't know where the hell I belong. Do you think changing it to an R, an I, or D is going to change me? And the Republicans will be just as pissed at me as the Democrats are. Believe it or not. I kind of like the answer. Now, I don't like the morals behind what he stands for, but I think there's a certain ring to that answer. And there's another important piece. For now, he's still caucusing with the Democrats because he does realize his power only lies within the Democratic Party that has a slim majority with the vice president. But you know what? As soon as he is irrelevant to the to the Democratic Party, which our expectations is that it will come pretty soon. Progressives, you got to go out there and work hard. You have to go out there against cinema. You got to go out there against mansion. You got to go out there against every single Democrat that belongs in another party that doesn't really support the middle class, that doesn't really support policies that and that lifts people up, people that are not going to be condescending to those who have been maligned by the plutocracy. When you hear a Joe Manchin say, I don't want to create an entitlement state, yet he entitles the plutocracy with benefits, with billions of dollars, trillions of dollars of our work. You know, we have to rid ourselves 
of those. Right now, we need Joe Manchin. Right now, we need Kirsten Cinema. But it is our job to go out there and do the work that is necessary to really build a progressive base. But that also requires informing people appropriately so that they so that the fallacies that come across from these guys his daughter was the one who gouged us with the EpiPen. These were the people who constantly lie to us about somehow profit in the healthcare system can somehow be more efficient than a one-payer system. The fallacies of many of the people in our own party has to end, and it ends by progressives getting them out in the long run, but playing ball when necessary to attain the ultimate goal. So where do you belong? When we get more progressives elected, like you once said, you'll understand where you belong. This Republican pundit has a prescient message for Democrats, and I think they should heed it. Let's listen to it, and then we'll take it on the other side. I remember where I was when I read your thread about the 1-6 committee to wit, and I quote, I have some bad news, wrote Rick. After multiple calls, I have some extremely grim news. As of now, the 1-6 commission is dead already and will not enforce the subpoenas Trump wins. The 1-6 terror plot will go unexamined and unpunished. To say I'm livid is putting it mildly. This is staffed wrong, led wrong, and a gutless exercise to get back to talking about infrastructure. They're not talking, taking the risk seriously. They're not taking the data before them seriously. And they're eager to run out the clock. Livid. So, Rick, I don't need to tell you that as soon as that went up, heads exploded. Hair caught fire simultaneously. Toilets started flushing counterclockwise. The Giants had a winning season. I'm just kidding about that last one. Uh, in real life, of course. Liz Cheney put out a statement. Mm -hmm. uh, the committee put out a statement. So as they say in dental school, you hit a nerve. Um, have you been dissuaded at all from what you wrote or do you stand by it still? I, I'm not going to be. Well, let's say, let's say this. I believe there are intentions um, are not bad. I believe that I, my, my statement was correct. I don't believe that they're pursuing this with the degree of vigor that merits the, 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 the type of targets they're talking about. We're dealing with people like Steve Bannon and Roger Stone and, and Ali Alexander and all these people that were all the spectrum of people on Stop the Steal. We are not at this point hearing from the committee that they're meeting regularly. They've, they've had three months. They've done almost nothing. And the fact that they've got a few witnesses who are grudgingly going to kind of sort of think about sitting down with them is 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 nothing until we hold to account people who are defying them. Unless you put Steve Bannon in the hot seat, unless you put Steve Bannon in, a, in, a, in, a, in an orange jumpsuit, strip him of his polos, put him in an orange jumpsuit and zip ties, this guy is going to run rampant. He's out the other night essentially telling his followers that Trump will be reinstated. He is one of the architects and masterminds of, a, of an insurgency in this country that needs a response more than the kind of traditional Washington, let's go slow, let's take it incrementally. This requires a set of responses and policies from Congress. I mean, they're already basically saying we're going to wait until Thanksgiving to have a vote on the House floor about about referring Steve Bannon to the Justice Department. This man does damage every second he walks around in this country, and they need to pick up the pace. 
I want I want I want them to prove me wrong, Brian. I want them to say, hey, that Wilson was just paranoid. The people that were talking to him, they're just you know, they're exaggerating. But I'm not wrong. They will slow roll this thing. And Bannon and company believe and Trump's people all believe they can run out the clock. They can play this out until the very last dog dies and that they won't have any accountability. Democrats must treat this as it should be treated, which is a counterterrorism investigation. They got to take this seriously. If these guys were in Al Qaeda, they'd be having JDAMs dropped on their heads. The, these people are, were intent on overthrowing our government. You have to treat it that way. It wasn't a tourist visit. So, Rick, I know you've uh, spent a long time. You've written about this. You've thought about this. What is the problem? Is it that, as I like to contend, the Democrats tend to be culturally uh, uh, former student council presidents um, and uh, the Republicans of this era are stone cold killers? There's a word that we can't use on polite television, but it rhymes with rat trucking and they won't do it. They won't play the game. They won't get in here and, and use knives. They they bring a copy of Proust to a gunfight. These people that they are running up against, like Bannon, they will put them against a wall. What they don't seem to have internalized is that people like Steve Bannon help to become help to architect the attack on the Capitol that, by the grace of God, did not end up with congressmen being dragged from their offices and killed. Because if they'd found Nancy Pelosi, or if they'd found, frankly, even Liz Cheney, they would have killed them. You have to take this seriously. These are not people that are the old Washington. This isn't the old days of Ronald Reagan and Tip O'Neill sharing a beer. That is dead. It is gone. The Republican Party right now is a is a sole source operation dedicated to Donald Trump and Donald Trump only, whatever electoral fantasies he has that can be translated into whatever direct action that Steve Bannon and those people come up with will be executed on. They should not think for a minute that this is over. As I like to say, an unpunished coup is a training exercise. An unpunished coup is a training exercise. So true. Look, folks, uh, it is it is true that Democrats need to get with the program. You know what? These people understand they they, they are paper tigers. When they feel that nobody's going to push back, they have all the power, they have all the strength, and they talk big and they do all these things. You give some pushback. Watch how they fiddle. We have to be strong and stop being that that way about, well, things are going to work out. Now things are not going to work out. These guys are criminals and they should be treated as such. Steve Bannon, all these guys need to be locked up. And I don't mean just uh, locked up in, in, in theory. I mean, we really need to go after them and we should be going after them day after day after day and calling them the criminally terroristical people that they are. They're insurrectionists, they're terrorists, they are traitors. That's who they are. And they must be called out every single day and make sure that anyone associated with them is called out with the same nomenclature. Nancy Pelosi would have none of it. Uh, When Jake Tapper, CNN's Jake Tapper, wanted to assign blame to progressives for supposedly holding back Build Back Better, she would have none of it. I want you to take a look at this, and then we'll take it on the other side. There are a lot of people who are very eager for the bipartisan infrastructure bill to come up and be voted on as well. And progressives have said they're not going to vote for that until there's at least a deal on the larger 
social safety net uh, bill. You said the House must pass the bipartisan infrastructure plan by October 31st, which is a week from today. Moderates are frustrated. Two deadlines have been missed because of the progressives. Are you going to meet that goal? wait, Wait a minute. There was no deadline that was missed because of the progressives. Okay. Deadline was missed because they changed from 3.5 to one half that, and we've had to uh, go in and it's lamb eat lamb. Everything is good in the bill. What do you cut? Okay. So in terms of this date, this date is fraught with meaning because on October 31st is the day that the uh, highway trust fund authorization expires. Right. And if that expires, we have to get billions of dollars someplace uh, to continue that, the best way to do that is to pass the BIF, ha- having nothing to do with all the other, uh, uh, shall we say, deliberations that are going on. Our chair of the committee, Peter DeFazio, who's a master of this, of the, of the infrastructure, transportation infrastructure committee, has, has said we must pass this right. by but, October 31st. But uh, the reason I invoked progressives, I'm not blaming anything on them, but I'm no. just saying they have said, a sizable number of them, enough of them to tank the bill, that they will not vote for the BIF, the Bipartisan right. Infrastructure Plan, unless there is this framework no, agreed right. to. You're so, absolutely right. so are you saying in the next week the framework will be agreed to, or there will be a deal on the social safety Let's net bill? Let's call it an agreement. An agreement. There, there will be an agreement on that, and you will also vote for the Bipartisan Infrastructure Bill. Both of those things will happen in the next week. That's the plan. We, of course, Jake Tapper was attempting to blame progressives for holding back, build back better. But you know what? Nancy Pelosi did two things there. And the second thing she did, I don't know if a lot of people caught it, but she did it very succinctly. Numero uno, she said, don't, it's not because of progressives that this bill isn't going through. It's because we had a well organized and put together $3.5 trillion a build back better bill that would support people. However, when we have all these conservative blue dog Democrats come and say, meaning Mansion and 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 uh, Cinema and a few in the House come back and say, well, we don't want to help people as much. We don't want people to become a reliable on government people. We don't want them to be. Uh, what do they like to call it? People that are dependent on social programs. So we want to cut. Forgetting that the people who really de- depend on social programs are the rich, the wealthy, who provides all the services that those social programs actually purchase. So when you hear about welfare, when you hear about food stamps, when you hear about all these things, this is not something that just helping these poor people. All that money goes right back into the coffers of the private sector. Don't let them fool you. A dollar knows not from where it is spent. But what did Nancy Pelosi did do? Nancy Pelosi then said, don't blame the progressives. We had a bill and they wanted it changed. And therefore, we changed it. And that is where the delays came from. But above and beyond, when she said Jake Tapper is right. Notice she said, Jake Tapper said, oh, I didn't want to blame progressives. He did want to blame progressives. But I don't want to blame progressives. But they said that if one bill didn't pass, the other one won't. And uh, she said, you're right, you're right, you're right. And that's the second thing she did. She did not back off in saying both bills must pass. Both bills must pass. In other words, I'm not just saying don't blame progressives. I'm also saying both bills must pass. Lot in that little snippet there. Let's get busy. PDR welcomes badass comedian Mona Sheikh. She combines a South Asian sensibility with strong Americanized values, cherishing the First Amendment, the right to bear witness with a 
big freedom loving mouth that raises eyebrows and temperature. She has a hell of an offbeat sense of humor. Shake is a nun uptight tightrope walker who commits serious oral gammy. You get it? Unfolding the spoken word while striving to maintain equilibrium whilst dealing with harsh and conflicting forces. With half of her life spent in a prominent conservative Muslim household in Pakistan and the other immersed with America's entertainment and culture, Mona now knows she was set out to break boundaries. Today, Mona resides in Los Angeles, California, pursuing her career as a comedian and actor while developing her upcoming one-hour special and comedy TV series. She also made history by becoming the first Pakistani female comedian to headline Hollywood improv. Mona was most recently featured in LA Times, Forbes, LA Weekly, NBC, The Progressive, and Huffington Post. Mona has headlined in Dubai, Portugal, and London. She has emceed the Women's March in San Francisco in 2019, thus making history to be the first South Asian Middle Eastern female comedian to perform for a crowd of 60,000 people. She recently appeared on The Rookie on ABC as Donna Abassi and will also be on Apple TV's Helpsters as Reina Rafter. She gained, she again made history by producing her own show at the world famous comedy store in Los Angeles called Minority Reports with a launch of sold out shows. Mona, Mona, Mona. That was a handful. No, that was a mouthful. No, that was a ton. You are out there, girl. Talk to me. How are you doing today? doing great you know what it is it's like i um usually when the intros happen i'm not present for the intro so i'm just like when somebody's saying the intros i'm like la 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 you know and because it's like okay it's too much all right now it sounds like i'm showing off this is just showing off like okay stop um wait 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 showing off your your show business what's the first word in show business it's sh- yeah, it's show. You. you know, you show your talent. Like you know, I, I guess I get a little—I uh, don't know—I get a little but shy about. You're that. talented, my dear. You're talented, but you know what? Uh, your your story, first you. of all, your story, first of all. When it was brought to me, I said we had to have you. And the only thing I'm kind of pissed about is that you went to Times, Forbes, LA Weekly, NBC <laughs> before you came to the little guy at Politics Done Right. So I'm hurt. <laughs> But no, it's okay. please don't be hurt. I just I just learned about you recently. So if I had learned about you, I would have totally been. Uh, but hey, listen, we're here. That's all that are, matters. You know what? Exactly right. We are here. But here, here's the deal, Mona. Your history um, for the things that I talk about in politics, it goes beyond politics. It mm-hmm. goes into real humanity. So yeah. what I want to ask you is, first of all, tell us a little bit about your upbringing, and uh, and then I'm going to ask you about your transition. So. Tell me a little bit about your upbringing, where you're from, etc. Yeah, so I uh, was born and partially raised in Karachi, Pakistan, or as you say, Pakistan, which is a, a really good pronunciation the way you say it. I really like it. Uh, and um, the reason our family, I have four older brothers, and uh, my father had a car business. My mom was a stay-at-home wife. Um, and the main reason we came to the U.S. is because two of my brothers, my second and my third brother, were given expired vaccination for polio and they ended up getting polio because of the expired vaccination that they were injected with. So my mom, uh, this, uh, this, uh, this young girl, this 23-year-old girl, my mom had 23 kids at the age of uh, five kids at the age of 23. 
at the, you know, and I asked my parents and I was like, did you not have a TV at home or a radio station, (laughs) anything to keep you entertained? Like what's going on? And my mom was like, it is God's gift. I'm like, I think human beings have something to do with it, mom, but sure, (laughs) blame God for it. You go right ahead. But uh, my mom has always been this incredibly uh, innovative and, uh, you know, ambitious lady. And she would uh, usually cover herself up and go and stand in line at the uh, U.S. consulate five o'clock in the morning to say that she's going to take her kids to the States to get them treatment because there was no treatment for my brothers in Pakistan. So uh, Shriners Hospital, shout out to Shriners in Kentucky, uh, responded to one of the letters my mom wrote to them and told them that I have two sick kids. And that's how we started coming to the U.S., but I think the whole thing about all the kids coming here, my parents never lived here. Uh, my father had a business, so he always resided in Pakistan. But the reason uh, that we all ended up here, all five of us, is because my mom's uh, first cousin was a huge politician in Pakistan. And uh, we were started getting death threats at home when I was a teenager. And you know how that goes. Um, so, you know. Uh, Whose administration uh, were you under then? I, um was that uh, Ria or who was that? Uh, Bey Nasir was in Benazir power. Buto. Okay. Bey Nasir yeah. Bhutto was in power. So yes. my uncle had just gotten elected and uh, we were getting these death, death threats at home. So my mom, like my parents freaked out. They were like, we got to send all the kids to America. But, you know, coming from a conservative Muslim household, you know, sending the daughter off to a country like America or to the West, isn't the most preferred choice. So my uncles and relatives were calling on my parents and were like, are you sure? I don't think you should send your daughter. She's going to be totally spoiled. She's going to be totally ruined. She's going to, you know, be out there telling jokes on stage, which they were so right. Uh, they didn't tell, they didn't talk about the jokes, but I manifested <laughs> that for myself. But, uh, and, uh, and uh, my parents were like, look, uh, if the sons go to America, the daughter goes to America too. She gets absolute equal treatment. So I think uh, as much of a conservative household as I grew up in, that's one thing I that really respect and value about my parents is that they gave me the equal access to America when I got here versus when I lived in. Uh, well, know, let me ask you, because you said you're a conser- you're, you, you came from a conservative household in Pakistan. Were you following all the rules, wearing the uh, burqa, all that good stuff when you were in Pakistan? We didn't wear uh, the burqa, but I performed the holy pilgrimage when I was 11 years old, which is very young. Yeah, very young to be performing a holy pilgrimage. But we were always, you know, we were we weren't allowed to like wear dresses or skirts or, you know, you were always covered up. You were pretty covered up most of the time. Right. You know, religion was a very big part of our household. You know, we were we, we were we had to read the Quran like twice. And it's fascinating, you know, when you grow up in a Muslim household that they teach you how to read the Quran, but the Quran's in Arabic. We don't speak Arabic. We we speak Urdu. So we're like, yeah, I, I don't know. know what I'm reading. Yeah. You're like, I don't, don't know what know. I'm reading. But you're well, like, oh. yeah, sorry, go ahead. Well, maybe that explains your explosion when you came to the United States. Tell us about that transition now. This conservative Muslim woman, or how old were you? I was 15. Oh, that was at the prime age. A 15-year-old conservative Muslim woman comes to what state? Uh, New York. Good old New York. Oh, my God. What happened? I, I'm trying to figure the same thing out. Uh, I'm trying to figure out what happened indeed. You know, when you come to America, 
because we in Pakistan would watch the movie Home Alone. We would watch these movies and I'm like, oh, my God, that's what America looks like. And then when I got here, we were I got picked up by G- at JFK Airport by my brothers and we were driving to Manhattan. I was like, oh, my God, this is just like the movie Home Alone. Like this is where they shot it. And then when you cross the Holland Tunnel and get into Jersey City, you're like, what happened? This is not what I signed up for. This is a ripoff. Like, where's my money? I want it back. Like, I've been lied to. Because you get to Jersey City and you're just like, this is nothing like the show in the movies. This is so the opposite. And, you know, when you're like these poor immigrant kids, you come here. We live in a one-bedroom roach-infested basement apartment for god's sake like that is the farthest thing from the movie home alone so when you get here you're like oh my god this is this is not fun and you know going to school is a big culture shock mainly because of the fact not because we didn't speak the language i we spoke multiple language of languages growing up uh but when you go to school it's such a different it's such a different environment also 15 is the worst age to arrive to america it's the worst Kids already have their clicks. They don't know who you are. You're this fob, you know, this fresh off the boat kid. You know, kids are looking down at you. They're like calling you all kinds of names. You know, some kids were like, oh, my God, you smell like curry. And I was like, curry's delicious. What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, and now everybody wants to smell like curry, right? In the in the, in the the late 90s, nobody wanted to smell like curry. Now everybody wants a taste of the it's curry. It's the thing. It's the thing now. I mean, it's so good that England abandoned their awful fish and chips and took our food as their official food. Can you believe that? That's that how like, good our food is. I mean, you're making a joke out of that, but that is actually true. When you talk about British cuisine, British cuisine is now like Indian, Pakistani and everything right. else, you know? That's right. That's right. Because they're down with brown now. Just for the food, though. <laughs> Just for the food. Down with the brown. Just for the food, though. Everything else needs to wait, you know? But uh, uh, it was it was strange. And I, I, I must confess, like, I saw pregnant teenagers in school and I was like, we just call them married back home. Like, I don't know what y'all call this here, but this is this is a little strange. Uh, like, I never see stuff like this before. Like, this is interesting. But I, you get bullied a lot in school. I didn't know what were bullies, you know. We call bullies teachers in Pakistan. That's what we call them. Uh, and I was like, oh, this is this is just so interesting and so weird. But um, I remember the first day I went in for my admission in high school and my oldest brother was my, uh, you know, was, was my legal guardian. And I remember we were sitting down and my principal turns to my brother and goes, does she speak English? Because, again, the stereotypes of fresh off the boat, right? the language, how are they going to blend in? And I remember turning to my principal and be like, what would you like me to say? And he was like, what? I was like, yeah, bruh, we speak English. We speak in English. We were ruled by the British for a long, long time, okay? You, we know uh, let's talk a little bit. This is a political show here. So I want to get a little bit funny with this. I find it amusing that you came here from Pakistan, right? You yeah. spoke English and several other languages because of the nature where you're from. I'm originally from Panama, so I speak English and Spanish and a few little permutations thereof. You know, it it is amazing that I find you come here and most of these folks here would only speak English. That's not a it's not a hit on on, on them only speaking English. But the because, you know, superpower, our language is the language. But the, the, the thing that is seldom understood is that um. 
when those from other places where you have had dominion before, you would think you would know that, okay, if Pakistan was ruled by the British, maybe they speak English. If Vietnam was ruled by the French, maybe they spoke little France, French, right. you know? Right. Don't you think? Right. Yeah, I mean, but the thing is that in America, we don't even speak English. We speak American. Like, <laughs> You know, we don't speak English. We speak American. Like, if you ever watch one of those crazy racist videos, like, listen to these people. The people who are attacking the minorities, the first thing I know is like, why don't you speak American? It's like, first of all, American's not even a language. It's an, it's a, it's an ethnicity. Like, what are you talking about? It's like somebody saying to me, why don't you speak Pakistani? There's no such thing. Like, Pakistani is not a language. Urdu is the language we speak. Hindi is the language we speak. Pakistani is not a language. So I think I, I think in America, of course, you know, as the American society, we also have this superiority complex because we're like, we're, you know, we're, we're the stuff, man. We're the hot stuff. And it's like, please, sir, take a seat. Like, you can't even speak American, right? Please take <laughs> many seats. Please take many seats. And, you know, I, I think... I think a lot of these folks who do speak like that don't even know the very history of their own country. Like this country is built on the back of immigrants like you and I. This is how this country is built. Like everything we have is by immigrants, built by immigrants, like for God's sake. So I think I just find it amusing and hilarious and uh, very ignorant when people come out and say, well, you know, you speak, you know, you're, you're coming from another country. It's like, yeah, the, the, the history of this entire country is immigrants. And everybody, you know, even, even those people that are sometimes attacking you, they were once immigrants. That's correct. Their children or grandkids or great, great grandkids of immigrants. You know, and, and that that's why, you know, in, in our case, we're a progressive show and we have wonderful progressive listeners of all classes, of all races, of all ethnicities. And the one thing that we do at in this program is bring folks on like you, because, again, people get a chance to see the plethora of what America really is. And you. But the best part about it is you say it with a lot of possess. That's why we call you that badass comedian. Because, I mean, <laughs> I, <laughs> because, but anyhow, so you came to America, you went yeah. to high school, you went through your bullying, you went through all that good stuff of what is Americana. Yes. The question is, how the hell did you get to LA and start doing this stuff? I mean, how did this conservative Muslim girl yeah. turn into this badass comedian American woman? Uh, you know, I um, I don't think being a stand-up comic was ever part of the plan by any means. It certainly wasn't the plan. I, I mean, when you come from a conservative Muslim household, you know, being a stand-up comic is not part of the is not part of the one of the career choices. Like uh, my family, uh, just a little bit background on my family. Um, I just grew up in a very uh, I grew up with a lot of domestic violence in our house. Because my parents always thought about what had happened to my brothers. My father blamed a great deal of it to my mother. And there were always a lot of physical violence, like a lot uh, between my parents. And I think when I moved to the U.S., there was a lot of physical violence from my brothers. Uh, my brothers were very physically violent towards me. And I think when I turned 18, I just kind of realized that I just I never felt like home was a safe place for me. So I just decided that I had to move out on my own and just figure my life out. I think at the age of eight, I had realized pretty early on that I wanted to be a performer. That much I knew. 
But the fact wait, wait, that... Did you say at the age of eight? Yeah, so the age of eight. But at the age of eight, you were a conservative girl in Pakistan with those That's visions. Correct. So in reality, you were living out probably what you had seen on TV, maybe? That's correct. I uh, So Bollywood has a huge huge influence around the world and of course in Pakistan because Pakistan is right next door to India so most of our entertainment is from Bollywood and I remember watching this movie with this amazing actress by the name of Madhuri Dixit and uh, Madhuri was doing a dance uh, to one of the songs and I just fell in love with her I was like oh my god you get to be like this incredibly beautiful and talented and funny like you can be a performer like that I'm like, that's it. That's going to be me. I'm going to be a performer for the rest of my life. But when I got here, that was, it was not so easy to navigate those waters. Because, not at all. You know, I have four older brothers. I'm the youngest and the only girl in the family. I am expected to go to school or, you know, I remember coming out of my artist closet to my brothers and I told them and I was like, I want to be a performer. And my brothers gave me a very simple ultimatum. They said, what? either you're going to go to college and you're going to become a physical therapist. I don't know why they wanted me to become a physical therapist. Maybe they have bad backs and they wanted free physical therapy. I don't know. <laughs> or they said, we're going to send you back to Pakistan and mom's going to marry you off to someone. So take your pick. Now, I think one thing I realized at a very early age is that um, that nobody was going to tell me how to live my life, especially when I'm in the land of the free. Like, there's no way. There's no way anybody gets to have any kind of, uh, you know, right or call on the way I'm going to live my life. So I remember telling my brothers and I was like, I love you, but go to hell. Like, this is my life and I'm going to do and I'm going to live the way I want to. No, let me ask you something, because like, this goes into a lot of what I think about when I come look at politics around the world and specifically, let's say, in the Muslim world. Yeah, I, I listened to you earlier tell me that at eight years old, you knew you wanted to be a performer. That yeah. wasn't necessarily a conservative Muslim thing for a young eight year old girl to, and even a 15 year old girl now. And to speak to a, a developed woman like yourself, yeah. we look at what's going on in Afghanistan with women who are no longer allowed to become who they want to become. Um, what is it in the psyche of let's say the Muslim woman not in the United States that allows themselves to adapt to that modal? You know, I don't know if it's about adopting to a modal. I think it's I think it's just being human. I think, you know, we all as human beings have dreams of things we want to do and pursue, regardless of the environments that we are born and raised in. Um, you know, dreams are not limited to geography. They're not limited to culture or religion or even gender, for that matter. I, I think dreams are your dreams. It's how you see living your life. It's how you see yourself. It's how you see that God has given every person has a God given right to live their lives the way they wish to live and that nobody can take that away. I want to go deeper than that, though. I want to go deeper than that. Okay. Because I see you as special and I want to know how special you are relative to, let's say, Muslim women in Afghanistan. Let's take, let's go. Even though I know you're from Pakistan, but let's go to Afghanistan because I know there are shared cultures and shared yeah. borders, et cetera. Yes. Um, 
there there ought to be a lot of women, I imagine, in Afghanistan that has that same impetus to do what you want to do. Um, what is it that, uh, why are you able to do it and so many have a problem escaping, if you will? Well, if you are uh, an Afghan woman or even if you're a Pakistani woman uh, living in an environment where you don't have the means or the resources that might like the way my family did to be able to send me to America. Yeah. Like, like that's hard. I don't know for what reason God took pity on me and God blessed me with this opportunity to come to America and be able to become the woman I am today. But I know this much that because God has been so kind to me, I want to be able to use my platform to uplift women like myself or women who come from similar backgrounds to me or have experienced similar things to me. I mean, that is something that's the least I can pay forward. That's the least I can do. So it's not so much about why these women can't do what I'm doing. It's just their circumstances are probably a lot different than mine. You know, I'm sure that they were if they were in similar circumstances than me and were given the same opportunities, I'm sure there would be incredible, amazing women doing special things. And that's the answer that I that's I am so happy for that answer because that's a perfect answer. Given opportunity, everyone gets that opportunity to be who they want to be. That was that is the the perfect answer. And you're putting your actions where your mouth is. You are putting your actions where your freedom is. I think this week, in fact, on Thursday, you're doing a big thing for people in Afghanistan. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, I've um I've watched uh, how the Taliban has come back and taken power and voices away from my Afghan sisters and brothers. And um, it has been really breaking my heart in every single way. And, um, you know, I I grew up with a lot of Afghans in Pakistan because we have a huge Afghan population in Pakistan. I don't know if you know, but Pakistan has the number one highest amount of refugees in the world. Mm-hmm. Like that's what Pakistan is as a. Uh, as tumultuous as Pakistan can be, it's also this dynamic, very generous society that wants to take people in and help them out. Um, uh, this event, I, I've been watching Taliban how the first thing they did when they got to Afghanistan is paint over the paint over the women's pictures and yes. tell women to go home and they can't be professionals and put a burqa on and they're not allowed in the streets. So this is, with all due respect. Uh, a middle finger to the uh, to the Taliban. So I wanted to do a comedy benefit for Afghanistan, but I just didn't want to have uh, any, uh, you know, just just a- another comedy show. I wanted to bring an Afghan female comedian to come and be the host of the entire event because it's really the Afghan women that I want to uplift and give a voice to. So I got lucky and found Nilab Sarabi, who's the first Afghan female comedian, and she was kind enough to agree to do it and she's going to be our host we have another afghan comic male afghan comic we have persian comedians we have indian comics uh then i'm on the lineup and i really wanted to do this event and this fundraiser to we're working with two amazing ngos we're working with afghan refugee relief and we're working with hope be lit and uh the 100 of the donations go directly to helping afghans resettle in the u.s and also send money back to afghanistan so we are just uh i just wanted to do whatever i could 
if this is the little platform I have and this is what I can do for my Afghan brothers and sisters, then this is what I'll do. So if your listeners want to come by, it's on Thursday, October 28th, 7.30 p.m. Uh, in Irvine. You can find more details at minorityreportswithaz.com. Why the Z, you ask, Egberto? Because we're cool. That's why. But you're and- damn cool. We're cool. That's why we did not want to be confused with the cool Tom Cruise movie. So we are at minorityreports.com and you can go and uh, buy tickets. And if you can't come, donate to the charities that we're working with, because this is this is a dire situation. Just the UN today came out and said that we are at the brink of a full blown humanitarian like this Afghan society is going to collapse. Afghanistan society is going to collapse. Millions of children are going to go hungry. Forget about all the women that are stuck at home. I mean, this is just horrific what has happened in Afghanistan. So we want to do our part. We want to do whatever we can to give them opportunities, just like God was kind enough to put me in a place to have an opportunity to live my dreams. I want to create some kind of opportunities for my. And what's the website again, where they can get all the information about this. You can go to minority reports with Excellent. Now the last question I ask every one of my interviewees is as yeah. follows. What would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't? What would you have liked to ask me? Um, maybe ask me about um, maybe ask me about why comedy? Why comedy? <laughs> I don't have the answer, Egberto. I don't have it. But I, I but you you asked me to ask you an answer that you say you don't have. I know you got a little piece of it. Let me hear. I it have now. the answer. You know, uh, it's interesting because I don't. I don't know if, you know, I watched greats, uh, your Richard Pryor to your George Carlin, you know, uh, and not that I'm on their on their level by any means. Um, I feel like comedy is that kind of a talent that chooses its uh, its its artist like comedy chooses you. I you know, I feel like it's something that you're born with and that you recognize somewhere along the line, and then you start honing that craft. I don't feel like you can teach comedy. Maybe you can teach the rules of comedy, but that innate thing that you have about having a voice, wanting to say something, having something meaningful to say, not that not that a lot of comics have something meaningful to say. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not so sure about that. Um, you should hear some of the turkey sandwiches jokes I'd hear. I've, I've heard of the comedy clubs. But, um, but I just feel like comedy is something that's an aid. And I feel fortunate that comedy chose me as one of its uh, delivery girls. Well, let me tell you something, Mona. Uh, don't sell yourself short. And don't think you're not in the company of the quote-unquote Great, because uh, you have that electric personality that people want to listen to and that one could listen to over and over again. So thank you so kindly for having been on Politics Done Right. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. Please remember to keep your community radio station in your minds. Keep KPFT in your minds. Talk about it. Tell your friends about it. 90.1 FM, Houston. They can listen as well at kpft.org. They can contribute to us at kpft.org. Remember that you can 
get one of my several books out there. As I see it, Class Warfare, the only resort to right-wing doom for a contribution of $120. It's worth it. How to talk to your right-wing relatives, friends, and neighbors for a contribution of $120. How to make America utopia. Take away the economy from those who rigged it. Pledge of $120. You can get any two of those books for $200. Any three of those books for $250. That is, in, that is to support our station. They can call us at 713-526-5738, but it's at kpft.org. You can get Politics Done Right Mondays through Fridays on Facebook Live at facebook.com slash politicsdoneright. On YouTube Live at politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube. Please do not forget to follow me on Twitter for updates. My handle is at Egberto Willis at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. Folks, we are at the end of the program. I hope you enjoyed what we had to offer. We will continue to give you fresh data, fresh programming every single week from Politics Done Right. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right. And you know how I end this baby. I am what? Out. Welcome to Politics Done Right. I am your host, Egberto Willis. This is a progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. This is the program that will encourage you to make sure government becomes we the people. Whether you are liberal, progressive, conservative, or otherwise, you get to air your point of view. We are an independent media outlet that, unlike mainstream media beholden to corporations, we only owe allegiance to you. Remember, you can also send me a tweet at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. That is at Egberto Willis. Let us engage. It is politics done right. 